Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. This is a Meet the Educator episode, where we discuss one individual's journey and approach to medical education. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. Our guest today is Dr. John Zawicki. He attended Tufts University School of Medicine, followed by a combined medicine and pediatrics residency at Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. He is currently finishing up his first year as a pediatric hospital medicine fellow at the University of Utah. Welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast. Ah, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. Great. So Dr. Sawicki, there's so much that I'd like to talk to you about today. Let's start out with your longstanding interest and involvement in education. Is it fair to say that you like teaching? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say, I would say so. Um, I think even kind of from, from pretty early on, I realized that teaching is something that I thoroughly, uh, enjoy. I've got a lot of, uh, teachers in my, in my family. Uh, so that's probably where some of the enjoyment comes from. Um, but yes, definitely safe to say I, uh, I enjoy it. And what is it about teaching that you like so much? I think there's a couple of different things. Um, I think the, the the biggest thing for me is really in in any type of learner is seeing that aha moment, uh, kind of having that light bulb just kind of spark. Uh, I, I think that's so so cool uh, to see, and is really really enjoyable to um, to be a part of that process. Uh, I think in in addition to that, kind of selfishly, um, I, I feel like I just learn so much from from teaching. So whatever subject it is that I'm that I'm talking about, I think myself learning more about that in order to teach it effectively and appropriately, uh, I think is is also something I I really enjoy. Yeah, I think teaching definitely keeps us on our toes. You know, you really have to understand something to explain it to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I think it also gets you just like really comfortable with saying that that I don't know phrase uh, that I think we can get so uncomfortable with, uh, especially in medicine. Um, so it's just a, a, a really nice exercise uh, to kind of test your uh, your knowledge limits and say to learners, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not really sure about that, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go find out. So yeah. So tell us about some of the early experiences you had in education. Uh, I think probably the the most memorable one um, was my time as a as a substitute teacher. Uh, which was actually in the district I grew up in, in the school district I grew up in. Um, and I had kind of remembered like as a high schooler and middle schooler having um, a younger substitute teacher and just really, really enjoying that. Um, I always thought that was kind of cool um, and wanted to take that on once I uh, got out of high school. Um, and so at the time in, in Connecticut, you could start substitute teaching uh, immediately after you finished high school um, and didn't need like a, a college, uh, formal college degree or anything like that. So almost right right away, um, I started subbing. Um, and they actually even threw me like in the high school initially, which I think was a total disaster because uh, I knew a lot of the kids that were there. So I, I'm not sure I was the most uh, effective substitute teacher in that in that time, but absolutely loved, loved the experience. I uh, thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And so when I was looking through your resume, it looked like you were doing that while you were in college. Is that true? Yeah. Yep. So like whenever I would have uh, a bit of a bit of a break, um, so either over the winter or over the summer, um, kind of in between when uh, college courses ended and uh, the 
public school, high school, um, middle school schedules ended, I would kind of, yeah, get, get called in and go have some, have some fun with, uh, with some K through 12 learners. Wow. That's so crazy. So you would show up and kind of get a lesson plan for the day or how much advance notice did you get to prepare your lesson? Not uh, very, very little notice. Um, sometimes it would be maybe uh, like 48 hours in advance. Um, so a lot of the time it, it really was kind of creating stuff um, off the off the cuff, especially for those older students. Uh, a lot of the times um, they would kind of just stash me uh, more in like the first and second grade and even uh, kindergarten um, age groups. Uh, in that case, um, the the lesson plan uh, would kind of would just throw it throw it out the window, and it really almost was more of just a babysitting exercise and making sure no one got hurt. So these early experiences, were you maybe thinking of a career in teaching at some point or were you pretty set on medicine, but this was just an, an area of passion for you? Yeah, I, I think um, I certainly gave thought to it. Uh, I, I realized I wanted to go into medicine uh, pretty, pretty darn early. Um, I think I even have like a, a, a resume that I wrote in like fifth grade that said my number one career was going to be was going to be a physician. Um, but kind of as I uh, got closer to sort of making that med school um, and like what path I want to take to get there type of decision, uh, history teacher was something else that had kind of popped into my head and I thought would be would be a lot of a lot of fun. Um, so it was absolutely something I gave quite quite a bit of consideration to um, and knew that I really, really enjoyed it. There was another teaching experience that I thought looked really interesting, and I'd love to know more about it. Uh, so as a medical student, you were involved in teaching seventh graders in a program called Ideas in Medicine. What was that program? Uh, so that was, I think it, it was it was created uh, kind of by a couple of medical students at Tufts uh, a few years before I had gotten there. And they had connected with a seventh and eighth grade middle school uh, in Chelsea, Massachusetts, uh, just a little bit north of Boston, um, and really on like a weekly basis would get a, a group of volunteer medical students to head there. And it was kind of a combination of just tutoring. Um, so kids who would be hanging out after school who maybe needed some additional help uh, in primarily the sciences and, and math or science. Um, so we'd absolutely give maybe like an hour or so of tutoring. Um, but the other hour, hour and a half, we'd kind of create like these fun science experiments uh, for them to do, um, which were always, always interesting um, and, and a lot of fun. Like we would kind of do like the classic things, like kind of take pop rocks and put them into Coke bottles and, and see them, mm -hmm. see them explode and talk about why, uh, why that, why that happened. We did one, one experiment with, with some type of yeast. Uh, and I, I remember, unfortunately, it did not go how we had planned, and the poor classroom kind of smelled like a brewery after after we got through <laughs> with it. But it was it was a lot it was a lot of fun, and just about kind of getting students excited about the sciences, which was really cool. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Um, one thing I was really impressed by when I was looking through your resume was your extensive experience in curriculum development. Do you have a certain program that you helped develop or a curriculum you were involved in that you really enjoyed that process of developing the curriculum? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I there were a couple in residency that I got involved with. Um, and one in, one in particular uh, was kind of redesigning the second year uh, pediatric sim lab curriculum. The um, 
SimLab was a very, very big part of my residency training, both uh, on both the internal medicine and on the pediatric side of things. And I, I kind of noticed that on the ped side, it was the, the learning objectives weren't quite as clear. I would kind of finish a simulation center or a session and not really know what I was supposed to get out of it. Um, so I, I kind of used that as an opportunity to, to revamp it a little bit, uh, just kind of make the learning objectives a little bit more clear. I had kind of started by asking fellow residents what they wanted to, to get out of it um, as, as kind of almost like a, a poor man's needs, needs assessment. Um, and then kind of took those and formal, formalized things a little bit. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, it didn't, took me a, a little bit of time, but wasn't overly extensive and was kind of a nice uh, mini project and a, a good introduction to curriculum development. And then at Tufts, you were involved in a student as teacher program, which I'm super interested in because I co-direct the student as teacher pathway at the University of Utah. So can you tell me a little bit about the structure of that program? Right. Um, yeah. So I, when I was, it was just uh, kind of getting getting going uh, at at Tufts as I was uh, finishing up my my medical school career, and I worked with one of the the med ed um, folks there to to just really kind of start the groundwork for this uh, student as teacher program. Uh, she just kind of wanted my input uh, as well as input from a couple of the other students about what should be going into it. Uh, and I actually had taken like a, a teaching elective course uh, during my second year of, of medical school, which is kind of how I got involved in, in this. Um, I think in that, in that particular instance, I wasn't really a, a, a main driver of, of what went into the curriculum. Um, I did uh, help with a video uh, that kind of showed some, some teaching techniques for, um, for future students. Um, and where I did residency, uh, we, we kind of got uh, a lot of Tufts medical students that kind of rotated through the, through the hospital, um, and they would recognize me from this video that I, that I helped make as part of that uh, curriculum. So you were pretty famous then during your residency. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if uh, famous would be, would be the right, would be the right word. It was more like, Hey, were you that goofy guy doing that, doing that video? Um, and I would of course be like, yep, that was, that was me. So. <laughs> Um, one thing I noted as well is that you've been recognized as a very effective educator by your peers and by your learners. You have some very impressive teaching awards um, from the Tufts University School of Medicine Excellence in Teaching Award. You also received a, a award for best resident teacher during your residency. So what is it that sets you apart as an educator? That's a really good question, uh, and I, I can, I would, would love to sort of get the get the thoughts from the students and, and residents I've I've worked with. But I think in taking a step back and thinking about it, um, I, I I hope that it's my enthusiasm for all that I teach. I think that's such a huge part of being an educator is having excitement and enthusiasm about whatever subjects you're you're talking about. Uh, and I think even if you're not necessarily a, a content expert in those particular areas, if you can teach something with with enthusiasm and um, with joy that will really help those concepts come across quite a bit better. Um, and hopefully that that will translate to inspiring um, the the learners. And so that's what that's what I would hope because um, that is something that I absolutely love to do. 
I think the the combination of coming into work every day and learning medicine and taking care of patients that's that's incredible. Uh, it is it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to to do that. And then on on top of that, to be able to to pass that that knowledge down to the future generations of of clinicians, uh, that's just such such an added added bonus um, and something that I, I really really love to do. And hopefully that's that's what drives uh, my effectiveness as a as an educator. It sounds like you bring a lot of joy and a lot of humility to your job, and I'm sure that's played a big role in in why you've been recognized for your teaching abilities. Yeah, I would I would hope so. I know one of um, one of my my mentors at at Bay State uh, who really was just this absolutely incredible, incredible educator. Uh, he just had such, such just this, this thirst for more knowledge um, and would just always be asking questions. And of course, he came off as like one of the, the most brilliant physicians that you would ever have, have met, but that never really stopped this like five-year-old-esque curiosity to keep asking why um, and to, to keep just having this enthusiasm for, for learning more. Um, and I've really tried to to take that and harness that uh, and use that as an educator. So after all of these experiences in the Northeast for medical school and residency, you have made your way out West. So tell me about your decision to further your training here in Utah. What made you make this big geographical move? Well, believe it or not, I, I actually had interviewed here for residency, uh, so had kind of an idea of what the what the landscape was like out here and what the the folks who worked in the in the hospital um, who were involved in the graduate medical education system here were were all about. Um, so I, I already had kind of like a, a gut feeling of the people that were that were here. Uh, and then kind of researching the PHM programs, uh, Utah certainly popped up. Um, and I was really excited to, to come out here and, and check it out. Uh, and I think one of the things that really stuck out at me as when I was first researching the hospital medicine fellowships was the Utah program kind of described itself as this junior faculty type of type of position which I thought was, was really interesting um, and thought was kind of cool. And it certainly separated this program from a lot of the other ones just on, on paper. Um, so I was really curious about what that, what that meant. Uh, and that, that was, was kind of like, you know, it raised my eyebrow a little bit like, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, what, what, is that, what does that mean? Um, and it wasn't until kind of I, I got here and found out, found out more um, that I sort of realized that. But that was, I think, the, the, big, the big thing is, having a bit of experience with Utah from uh, interviewing here for residency and then sort of seeing uh, that kind of that this, this fellowship was, you were thought of more of as like a junior, junior faculty, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a really neat model. Can you tell me a little bit more about pediatric hospital medicine as a fellowship? I, I believe it's a bit newer of a fellowship. So I'm imagining that, you know, at the time you were applying there, maybe were some new programs popping up and, can you just give us a little bit of the history as far as you know it with the fellowship program? Yeah, uh, so I I think it it certainly has been going on for longer than I really had um, had had known, um, and I, I think here it's been been like close to um, I think like ten plus plus years already, um, and one of the the reasons that it's really kind of struck um, struck struck me just in general was the 
the fact that now there's kind of this this push to to be a a board certified pediatric hospitalist, uh, which is, I think is a really great sort of movement for um, a hospitalist as a looking being looked at and viewed as a as a subspecialist. Um, so kind of knowing that I wanted to be a hospitalist, knowing that. Uh, you now kind of had to go through this this pathway to become board certified. One of one of the paths to become board certified was to go through fellowship. Uh, that's what what kind of took me down the the fellowship route. Um, and I th- I think the while a lot of the programs have existed for kind of close to to ten years, there's now just been this big push to get it under the ACGME umbrella. And I think that's something that started fairly recently with now this, this board certified pediatric hospitalist becoming, becoming a thing. Um, so I, as I was kind of thinking about what, what stage the pediatric hospital medicine fellowship is in, I wouldn't say it's quite in its, in its infancy because I think they've existed for, for a little bit, but I would say almost more like that kind of adolescent, like that sort of awkward phase um, where now they're kind of evolving from what they started as to, to these ACG ME accredited type of type of programs. So is the program in Utah accredited? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so, so cool. Um, we were one of only a, a couple, I think either two or three programs um, to go through the, the first ever hospital medicine accreditation process uh, this, this year. Um, and starting in, in July 1st, uh, we will now be under the ACGME umbrella, which is awesome. That is awesome. And how long is the fellowship? Uh, so the fellowship here is only two, two years. Um, and that is fairly typical uh, kind of across the country. There are um, some three-year programs as, as well. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say at least the, the majority of the ones that I had kind of looked at were, were two, two years. And what is the overall structure like? So when I when I did endocrine fellowship, the first year was heavily clinical, and then the second two years were more research focused. Is there a similar divide with your fellowship, or is it pretty consistent throughout? Yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different. And this was actually one of the things that I thought uh, set Utah apart. Um, some of the other fellowship programs that I had interviewed at had a had a very similar structure, uh, where a lot of your clinical time was kind of done up front. Uh, you would kind of rotate through not just the the inpatient wards, but maybe you do like an ED rotation, maybe you do like a transport rotation, uh, but you'd be doing a, a lot of clinical activities. Um, here at Utah, and this kind of speaks to that idea that it really was a junior faculty type of p- position, um, you kind of have the schedule of of an attending where you are either on on service, um, so you're you're working with uh, with an attending and, and a, a resident team, uh, or you are off service. And during that time, you're off service. You're really just working on any and all scholarly projects uh, that you can that you can get your hands on. Um, and if there are additional clinical um, experiences that you want to dive into, uh, you have all the support in the world uh, to do that here, which is which is really cool. Um, so it's it's a lot of self-directed uh, learning, but it, it doesn't quite have that that same sort of regimented structure uh, that you might expect from um, from other fellowship programs. And so, what was it like to assume that junior attending position out of training? It was pretty intimidating, um, okay. yeah, and a little bit a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, I, I think it was 
what what made the first year of fellowship so nice is that right right off the bat as the fellow you were you were paired with with an attending so you always had someone there to help guide you through kind of the murky waters of inpatient medicine now even with that with that guidance you also were pushed to be looked upon as the the leader of of the ship so when you're working with with a resident team you were really the one who the residents and medical students would present to you would be the one who would be making the final decision and the attending would be there to just back you back you up um, which I, I thought was just this this wonderful balance of helping you to become more confident in your attending skills and in your autonomy, but also giving you all the support you needed uh, in case you got um, confused or uh, a little bit a little bit lost. Um, I think one of one of the best stories uh, that encompasses that that feeling is it was it was one of my first weeks on service. Um, I, the week had gone pretty, pretty smoothly. Uh, we really were, were jiving as a, as a resident team and the, uh, attending who I was working with had kind of like taken a little bit of a, a step, a step back, um, had really kind of let, let me be the, be the one who was, who was present, um, for the most part of rounds and allowed me to really kind of do, do my own thing. And it was maybe the, the last day of the week. And we had this just really complicated patient come, come in. We're talking about calling all of these consultants and maybe even transferring the, the patient to the to the PICU. And we're talking in, in one of the team rooms and I'm I'm definitely like I'm feeling like kind of a little bit nervous, a little bit palms are getting a little bit sweaty, the pulse is going going up a little bit. And just like a like a, a savior, sort of the attending without any prompting, just sort of walks in um, and just kind of asks us how we're how we're doing and talks everything out. Um, it really was just like this perfect moment of uh, he knew exactly when um, when he was he was needed and, and stepped right in to to provide some some help. Um, so really, again, just speaking to that excellent balance of supervision and autonomy. I think fellowship is a really neat time to sort of take the train, training wheels off and and see what you can do on your own, but you still have that nice safety safety net of somebody there to back you up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just the 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 learning from the from the attendings is also great. And as I, from from what I've from what I've been told, when you are a attending attending, you don't quite have that same amount of time to maybe learn from your colleagues just right there on on rounds um so i think that's the another major uh, learning point fellowship has offered is i get to see how these experienced clinicians sort of make their medical decisions and i get to talk stuff out with them and see how they would they would approach uh, some of the art of medicine uh, which is really really cool um and as kind of now halfway halfway through my fellowship and starting to realize like oh man like in a year, that's that's not going to be quite as uh, as apparent of of an avenue of learning. Um, so, really trying to to focus on soaking up as much of that as I can. I think that's very wise. I would love to be a fly on the wall of any of the attendings that I work with, just to keep you know brushing up your skills. I feel like you learn so much just by observing and learning different practice patterns from people you work with. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so cool. And I, I just like I'll walk out of a, a patient's room and just be like, oh man, like yeah, they they just how they explained why they didn't want to get this this test or this scan or what the, what the plan is. They did such a nice job of that. Like I'm, I'm totally going to steal that. Like that, that was such a great way of explaining it. 
Yeah. I think one thing that, you know, you can let me know if, if you feel this way as well, but I think sometimes it's helpful to do fellowship at a different place than where you did residency. I'm someone who stayed in the same um, place and it ended up being a very good experience, but I think there's some value in, you know, a, a fresh way of doing things, seeing something new, challenging yourself by being in a new clinical environment. Can you speak to what it was like to train as a fellow this past year in a different place than where you did residency? Right up front, it was, I was really nervous, uh, like beyond, beyond nervous. And I, I usually think of myself as like a pretty even keeled, uh, kind of relaxed individual, uh, but kind of making, making the transition. Um, I was, especially to, to the clinical, the clinical stuff um, was, was quite uh, apprehensive and, and nervous about. Um, and I had done kind of medical school and residency in very, very similar, similar places. So it was very used to my own, my own comfort, comfort zone. Um, so yeah, right, right off the bat there, there were quite a bit of nerves. Um, but I think every, everyone here uh, is just so, so supportive. Um, and kind of once, once I got, got over that, which didn't take too long because of the, the great, the great support of all the educators here it really has opened my mind to so many different learning opportunities um, and to kind of, and going both, both ways too. Like I think there've been, been some things that I've, I've brought from my residency and med school training here. Uh, and there's certainly just so, so much stuff that um, I've, I've learned here that I'm absolutely going to take it, take it forward. Um, I think one thing that I'm still getting used to is uh, just from a purely clinical uh, viewpoint is sending uh, bronchiolytic kids home with oxygen like that was was just shocked the first couple times I heard that we were doing that doing that here um, but I think it's something that we're we're kind of the trailblazers in that in that realm and I think that's that's really that's really cool and has just provided me with a totally new way to to think about that that disease process and how we treat it and were you the only fellow in your year or like how many fellows do they typically have at a time? We, we are a, we're, we're going to be a once one fellow every year program, uh, starting, starting in July. Um, there, there'll be a new fellow that will, that will be here, uh, prior to, prior to that, it's been one every other year. So this, this year I was the, the one, the one and only, um, we, uh, one of the, uh, members of the inpatient medicine division. He he had just graduated fellowship from from here, but now is in that attending role. So I think that was kind of the other cool thing about this program is you really when when I came on was not looked on like as the the fellow. Um, I was just sort of brought in as as another part of the inpatient medicine division, which made me feel very very comfortable and very much at home. <laughs> And so the fellowship curriculum, you know, being that you're the only fellow, have there been some ways to individualize your curriculum and individualize your experiences? Yes, yes. I think that is uh, one of the, the biggest draws um, that, that I had uh, coming, coming to Utah is I was kind of told on my, on my interview day that that would be the, the case. And it certainly hasn't disappointed. Uh, to give one specific example... I was a, a a med peds resident, so have some adult adult training, and really wanted to continue that. I really wanted to continue to see adult patients, even during a pediatric um, fellowship. And a lot of the fellowship places I had interviewed at 
like, yeah, you know, yeah, you could, you could do that. We could maybe, we could maybe find a way. Uh, there were even a couple of places that were like, nah, you, you're a peds now. I uh, kind of give up, give up that adult medicine thing. Uh, when I came here, it, not only was it like, yeah, you can continue to practice adult medicine, there was like some excitement about it. Uh, and there was just this enthusiasm to, to kind of cross, cross those dreams, uh, if you, if you will. Um, and so that's one thing that I've been, been allowed to do. I've been, um, moonlighting in, in adult urgent cares kind of throughout the university of Utah, um, health system. Uh, and then we'll also start to, uh, work as a adult hospitalist, um, on occasion over the, over the summer, uh, over at the U. That's such a unique opportunity. I haven't really heard about that before within pediatric hospital fellowship programs. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, again, um, that's a lot of, a lot of the, the places that I had kind of interviewed at there, there was maybe some kind of uncertainty about it. Wasn't, wasn't a firm, a firm no. Um, but here they, they told me I could do it and, and helped make it happen. That's one of the main reasons why I came out here as well. Um, so I have an interest in medical education and I really wanted to continue working on, you know, helping trainees develop teaching skills. And there were many places that I interviewed that said, well, you're going to have eight clinics a week, but you know, you're welcome to do this on the side if you can find time. Uh, but this was one of the few places that said, okay, I know of this person, there's this opportunity that will carve out, you know, 20% protected time. And I felt like they were very willing to make this a job that I would be happy with. And it was more about like, what was my agenda? What was best for my professional development rather than, you know, just fitting into the mold of whatever position they had available. So it's interesting that you, you experienced that as well as a trainee. Yeah. I, I think it's, it really is just a, an insta institutional thing. Um, and I think kind of bringing, uh, bringing that back to, to the, the teaching in medicine theme of the, of the podcast. I mean, that, that just really allows uh, for, for the best type of teaching and the most creative teaching to happen is when you have that support, when you have that little bit of, of freedom. Um, and when you are, yeah, when you're able to just kind of give, give, give a bit of an opening to, to make those crazy ideas happen. Um, one of the things that really struck me here was I felt like there was just this sense of wellness, like people were just as enthusiastic about their lives outside of work as they were at work. And that really struck me. Like I was surprised to see, you know, division chiefs and department chairs leaving at 5 p.m. on a Friday and people talking about, you know, their hiking and, and running and camping and hobbies and like just this total rich life outside of work. And it felt like it was okay to be excited about that stuff. And um, I just, I just feel like people here have like a very well-balanced life. It seems like everybody has something that they really love to do outside of work. I think the, the first two or three conversations I had with, uh, with our current division chief, I was uh, the meetings were supposed to be about kind of like getting involved in some type of educational pro projects uh, and getting involved in maybe some uh, some med ed type of stuff but inevitably like the the first maybe half hour of our of our conversations would be about what what ski pass to buy where to go hike where where to go where to go camp um, and then maybe kind of the, the second half of the conversation uh, was was about getting involved in the in the project. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Agree with that. Yeah, I feel just uh, 
like a healthy, you know, well-balanced life here. It's nice. Yeah, and it does, it just, it kind of allows you that ability to, to recharge and to come into work every day, excited and ready to go. Definitely. So tell me more about some of the scholarly and education projects that you're involved in this year or that you anticipate being involved in next year. One of the uh, early programs that I became involved with uh, in the first couple of months I was here uh, was the was the EPAC uh, program, um, which is education in pediatrics across the continuum, um, which is kind of this really cool and innovative um, EPA focused uh, curriculum for for medical students, um, and it really I, th- I think to me. The, the, the basis of it uh, is really kind of moving forward in your medical education based on competency as opposed to, as opposed to time. Um, and so I, the program kind of starts in, in the first year, first year of, of medical school. Uh, and in the second year of, of medical school, these students uh, get to dive a little bit deeper into, into pediatrics. Um, so they'll, they'll have lectures every, I think, once, once a week over the fall semester, roughly. Um, so I got to help out with with a couple with a couple of those. Um, one in particular was a, a student as teacher uh, kind of intro to that concept for these for these second year students. Um, so kind of got got them got them ready uh, to to kind of take on that that role moving forward. Um, so that was that was one thing that uh, that I got to help out with kind of right right away, uh, which was great. Moving moving forward, uh, one of the things that I've been helping with. Um, actually, during this whole pandemic, has been developing a, a bit more of like a, a clinical reasoning curriculum for residents specifically. Um, so, with with this uh, the whole COVID nineteen pandemic, there's been the patient volumes have been down a little bit. Uh, there's been a little bit more time while residents have been inpatient. Uh, to to kind of do some additional learning, um, so myself and uh, Dr. Pertel. Um, about the two, um, Dr. Khan uh, and the two senior residents, Wade and uh, Lindsay, kind of developed this this case cascade uh, curriculum, where it was really like kind of a morning report on steroids, uh, where you would present a, a mystery patient case, if you will, but then just take a lot of time to to go through to go through it, um, kind of really focusing on on some of the questions, the learning questions that you might develop that on a on a busier um, elective or on a busier inpatient session, you might not necessarily have the time to go to go into the literature to to research. Um, so we really tried to kind of foster that curiosity, bring in some evidence based medicine and uh, clinical reasoning concepts, um, and moving forward, uh, we're we're hoping to to kind of expand on that. Um, so we're going to use a couple of uh, noon conferences, uh, maybe a couple of morning report sessions for the residents next year to really just expand this curriculum um, and and continue to to move forward teaching some some clinical reasoning stuff. So it sounds like you've really been able to choose your own adventure clinically and in terms of your education and your scholarship interests. It sounds like you're really doing a lot of what you're interested yeah, in. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think that's choose choose your own adventure is a great a great way to describe it. Um, I think when when I got here, uh, I just got kind of from from the program directors, just got names of people that I should get into contact with. 
And so I started just emailing, emailing folks and everyone here is just so, so nice and so invested in, in helping you to achieve your goals um, that I was able to get connected into some of this educational stuff pretty quickly. And so if you look at maybe your schedule over a whole month, what might that look like in terms of your clinical time and your time for other projects? So I would say um, right, right up front, um, because one of, one of the aspects and haven't really touched on this quite, quite yet. One of the aspects of this fellowship that is really cool is that in the two-year time period, you get to get a master's degree, um, which, is, which is paid for. And so the, the master's degree that uh, involved with uh, right now is uh, the Master of Science in Clinical Investigation. Um, and courses for that start right off the bat in, in July. And they're pretty, pretty intensive. Uh, so when I first got here, the entire summer was kind of like going back to school. And really, there was no clinical work um, kind of up until September. Uh, I really just had time to kind of get going into those classes, get settled into Utah, meet some folks who would uh, kind of help me get involved in scholarly activities. Um, and then kind of after, after that, it really has been once every two to three weeks uh, that I've been on service uh, for a seven-day chunk at, at a time. And um, yeah, when you're, when you're on, on service, I, I think that that's a fairly, fairly self-explanatory uh, um, situation, kind of doing all the clinical stuff. In those weeks that I've had had off, um, that really is kind of up up to to me to decide how I want to spend that time. Um, so whether it is just thinking about new projects, whether it's working on projects that I've already got into into play, um, those MSCI classes do continue, but they tend to be at night. Um, so that that is really kind of how uh, how my my days are are spent in between the clinical the clinical time is um, yeah just whatever whatever interests i've i've got just pursuing those and thinking about your clinical time are you pleased with the variety the volume the acuity of the patients that you're seeing oh yeah oh yeah uh, it it's it's always i think great in the in the clinical arena to be to be challenged um a bit and I, I think I absolutely have have had that here and I remember a lot of the fellows that I worked with in residency would kind of tell me like in, in fellowship, you, you really, you want to see as much, as much as possible. Uh, in residency, that may not necessarily be the case because you've, you know, you've got a million other things to do. You've got to keep up with all that sort of busy, busy work. Um, but you've got a little bit more time as a, as a fellow uh, to kind of go, go into all of, all of the cases in a, in a bit more in depth. And I've absolutely um, had had just a blast uh, learning about all of the different pathology that that I've seen that I've seen here. Um, there really have been a, a number of different cases where I'm like, wow, I'm just I'm amazed that that we're taking care of uh, this this patient on the on the floor and doing a really really good good job of it. Um, I think it's it's made for a, a ton of learning. And the encatchment area here is just so huge. Like yes. I remember my first week on call. I get a call from Wyoming, from Arizona, and I'm like, they must have the wrong number. Like, why is anybody calling me about this patient? But we really do service a huge area of the country. Yeah, just absolutely, absolutely everywhere. Um, one of one of the things that that we get to do as hospitalists uh, is kind of take the the direct ad admission calls um, from other uh, from other hospitals or clinics. 
And yeah, we'll get calls from Idaho and Wyoming and Nevada. And I feel like every every time I've had to take one of those calls, I'm like Google searching like how far how far away these places are to try and figure out kind of the best way to get to get the kid kid here. Um, and, and especially yeah. coming from the Northeast where it's like the total, the total opposite. Uh, like you go just a couple miles down the road and there's another, another hospital. Um, that's not, not the case here. So it's, it's really, really nice to be the, the only game in town. Yeah, definitely. That is an interesting shift too. just, um, all of the awesome cases that you see because of the huge investment. Yeah. Um, I do want to circle back and talk about your Master's of Science and in Clinical Investigation program. So you had mentioned it's something that's covered by your fellowship, which is really great. So you get this master's degree at the end of your training. You don't have to tack on extra time to do that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the skills that you're gaining in that program and what you hope to use that degree for? I think the the biggest skills that uh, I've been able to gain are, are really those those research and quality improvement type of skills. And I think that really starts with just trying to, to figure out and asking the most appropriate research question and really just continues to build to build off of off of that. Uh, and that's not something I really had a ton of experience with uh, in medical school residency. Um, and so I think those those skills have have just been um, invaluable uh, to be able to learn those. And I think it's it's something that we don't necessarily think a ton a ton about. I'm like, oh yeah, you know it's easy to kind of come up with a, a research question and a, a plan to how to answer that question. Um, and what I've, what I've learned, it's, it's, it's just so involved. There's, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of different things that go into it to do it right and to develop data that is, that is useful and, and applicable. Um, my, my goal is to kind of take those skills and, and bring them into the education realm. Um, so can, can I kind of take that, that research philosophy and apply it to say curriculum development, because um, I, I I think it's it's time in, in education, not even just in medical education, but education in general. To like we can we can use we can use research, we can use data to say this this is the best way um, to to do things. Um, so I would really love to to use these investigation skills, kind of apply them to the med ed world, um, and and make medical education better. That's awesome. Good for you for taking on that extra program um, during a busy fellowship. Yeah. I think so. I know we've we've talked a lot about just how awesome Utah Utah is, but uh, yet another uh, plus of this of this program is this was one of the few fellowships where you were offered a master's and you're offered a master's in two years time. Uh, many of the other PHM fellowships that that offer a master's degree, and there's a good there's a good number of them. Um, I, I would say the majority of them, you, you have to take that third year. Um, so also very cool that you can fit it in, uh, in in two years time. Your MSCI project very well can be your fellowship project. Um, so you can kill two birds with one with one stone. And I'm assuming you still find a little bit of time to enjoy the state and, and do things that you love outside yes. of work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's such a big part of the culture here. Um, it'd be absolutely uh, impossible not not to do that. Um, I had a I had a blast uh, skiing in Little Cottonwood uh, Canyon. Still haven't quite gotten in uh, to like the backcountry skiing. So when 
the snowbird in Alta shut down for um, uh, because of the pandemic. I was a, I was a bit a bit of a bummer, um, but got out quite quite a bit, um, almost so much. I, I I'm not sure I want to say on a uh, on a public podcast, um, but yeah, it was a good it was a good a good amount of time. And now that we're moving into spring, uh, just all of the, uh, the hiking and the, the outdoor activities that that are available um, have been been really really nice to kind of finish up a day a day at work. It stays light out here until like 9 p.m. essentially, um, so you even have time once you once you finish a busy day to to go out and, and go for a good a good hike before um, calling it. I totally agree. Um... So there's so much more that I could ask you and talk to you about. I'd love to have you back maybe towards the end of your fellowship just to hear about how that second year went. But I'd like to just ask you one last question today. So what teaching pearl or piece of advice would you like to leave us with? That's a good that's a good question. I think what what I'll have to I'll have to do is I I will have to kind of draw inspiration from my my love of movies uh, for uh, for this. On one of my um, one of my favorite uh, favorite films is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and at the at the end of this movie, after he has just this awesome day of of skipping school, he kind of turns to the camera and he says, "Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it." And I have I've always loved that quote, and I think especially kind of in these these current times. I think it's really worthwhile uh, thinking thinking about um, to just be be present, be be in the moment, even when things are uh, kind of rough and rocky. There's there's still there's still joy. There's still good to kind of take a step step back, take a look around, uh, and to and to find those um, those those bits of of happiness and joy. That's really beautiful advice. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, Dr. Subicki, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to tell us about your fellowship program and all of your awesome teaching experiences. Yeah, Dr. Timmy, thank you so much for, for having me on. Uh, it really is, is, is awesome. Awesome to be here. This is such a cool, cool podcast. Um, so yeah, thank, thank you for, for putting this together and, and having me on. Please send any comments or suggestions to Podcast at gmail.com. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on Twitter at Teaching in Med.